You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Tarno, and I'm joined today by the founder of Better Man, Robert Lewis. Robert, you are still here. Hurricane Laura did not blow you away. It it did not. It uh, it had a good blow, but it didn't get me. Okay. But I, I will tell you this, Adam. Uh, we had some unusual things while the storm was passing through. I was looking out my uh, my uh, back door window, and I saw this thrashing out in the small lake that's behind my house. And uh, walked outside, and there was an eight point buck. Whoa! In freestyle, in the middle of my lake, it was it was the most really? unusual thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing! And so I mean, right across the entire length of the lake. I've just never seen a deer swim like oh that. My good gosh. strokes, by the way. He had good strokes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't get the Olympics this summer, and so maybe he was out there training. He's going to try to get in there some other time. Well, that's awesome. Well, anyway, we're glad that you're here with us. Today, we got a great topic that we're going to talk about. It's relevant to all men, but it's also a topic that may not be familiar to a lot of men. I don't know if there's a lot of guys out on the golf course or uh, that are getting together around the office that are talking a lot about our topic today, but it's it's relevant to them, uh, but they maybe, maybe many don't know that. And so we're going to talk about uh, identity and the role that identity plays in the life of a man, because uh, it plays an enormous role. And so before we jump into some of the thoughts that we've got, why don't we just start with a definition or a description, Robert? How would you define or describe identity? Identity is primarily built around the very core of who you are. And uh, whether men think of identity as a subject that they 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 discuss a lot the truth is it's really the linchpin in their life it's yeah. what i call my go-to spot that gives my life meaning that would give my life satisfaction because it's really the starting place of the way i vet my life and think about myself uh, another way of thinking of identity is it's the who am i question yeah a lot of times you'll see in books they say who am i where am i going you know, those kind of things. But uh, identity is who am I in my mind? Uh, so that when life is happening around me, as I'm processing it, I really have a starting spot. And uh, the starting spot is my filter of how I'm going to engage life. And I would say that's my identity. Yeah. I like how you uh, distinguish that. Who am I in my mind? Right. Because uh, right. I think it's, it's some of this is that self-talk that that comes about as you're going throughout the day, you're driving around, uh, you're at work, you're at home, and it's just ways that you think about yourself. And, uh, you know, am I this person or that person? And when you're saying, like, how do I view myself? I'm going back to middle school, you know, when I went through all my uh, what I call identity experiments, where it was, I'm a skateboarder, right? And so that's the way I think about myself. Or, no, I'm a basketball player, and that's the way I think about myself. And then you get into high school, it's like, no, I'm, I'm introverted or I'm extroverted. And then you get to college, and, you know, it's like everybody does this, where they have some of this self-talk and this way that they think about themselves. And, um, and this, this is a big deal because it is, as you said, it's kind of the core of who you are. It really is a big deal. And, and what I would say is a lot of times if you're in a, a, a group, a business group, or you're in a, a church small group and this subject comes up, I think a lot of people will tend to go to who I want to present myself as when I answer that question, that it'll feel good to the group. That's good. But you picked out, I think, the most important phrase that I that I offer, that I, that is, in my mind. Yep. Honestly, in my mind, who am I? And we all have that, what I call the private self. 
yep. that is talking about life and uh, judging life and assessing life and evaluating life in light of what really I'm going after and what I want to be. That is my identity. I may not reveal it to very many people. It may, may be a crisis that finally forces it out in the open, but right. we all carry around in our private self our core identity. That's great. And if you have the wrong one, it can lead to uh, a lot of places that you don't want to go, lead you to do things you don't want to do, say things you don't want to say, you know, or if, and when you have the right one and you're really rooted and grounded in understanding who you are, um, that is a big differentiating factor on a, in a lot of men's lives that really get them moving in, a, in the right direction in life. That's right. Because if you have, if you have a view of yourself, uh, I've noticed in counseling and stuff uh, with men, if you have a view of yourself and you hold it real rigidly and it's not working for you in real life, uh, a lot of men can fall back and say, the problem is real life. I'm going to, I'm going to make real life change to match my identity. Right. And that becomes a long, painful, futile process. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a view of yourself and it's not working in, in life and you're, you're, you're teachable and open, you can make corrections and make your identity more congruent with what reality is. But I, I really do find today a lot of people won't go, won't let go of their dream identity. They, they keep trying to force everybody to adopt to it. And, uh, well, there's a lot of heartache there. Yeah, that's really, that's really good. Okay. So I found something interesting, Robert, are you familiar with Google's Ingram viewer? Have you ever heard of that? I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for those that, that haven't uh, heard of that, so uh, Google is basically trying to digitize the world's books. And so what you can do is they've got this thing called the Ingram Viewer. You can go in and type in a word and they will show you how often this word pops up in phrases or um, in the writings over time. And so I, I, you know, as we were getting ready for this podcast, I went out to the Ingram Viewer and typed in identity. And you and I, the, the listeners can't see this, you and I right now are looking at this chart. It's fascinating, right? It's, it's it, amazing. It is. And so it, it really uh, was rarely talked about. Um, and then there is a massive spike in about 1992-ish, you know, where uh, this word became a huge part of writings and some of the cultural conversation um, so for almost 200 years, this word was not used very much. And then it, out of nowhere over the last 30, it's, it's popping up. And so why do you think this concept of identity is becoming so popular over the last 30 years? Well, I think, I think it goes along with the egocentricity of our culture. Yeah. Our culture has gotten more, uh, toxically self-absorbed. I just think that's the world we live in where life is, uh, not assessed so much by, uh, objective outward criteria, but by inward architecture, and uh, people want to create a world for themselves that 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 works. I just think identity is something that has become real popularized in uh, pop psychology and also even in Christianity to like the purpose-driven life. You know, people want to they want to have something inside that they live for that brings them rich reward that they get to decide on, and that is my identity. So. I just think it's more of the inward focus, the more self-focused of our culture yeah. that previous cultures, for a number of reasons, uh, didn't give any attention to. So what's some of your personal journey with uh, this concept of identity been like? I mean, when did this come onto your radar and you start to connect some dots and notice how this impacted you? 
Well, you know, I, I like what you said when you were growing up where, where you said, you know, I define myself by my, uh, you know, by my athletics or things like that. You know, I, I was a, I was an athlete in high school that uh, was good enough to get a scholarship, but the scholarship I got was uh, to play football at Arkansas. And it was during a time where uh, Arkansas football was kind of at its zenith. Uh, we, had, we had just won the national championship. The, the group of guys that I got to play with, we actually had the, the, the good fortune of getting to play for another national championship uh, my sophomore year against the University of Texas. And I have to tell you, I, I really did define myself by athletics. Now, I mean, I was 19 years old, so I'm not thinking identity, but right. I'm just saying. But after the end of my sophomore year, I suffered a real severe neck injury mm. and uh, was told I couldn't play football anymore. And I think looking back, I remember how incredibly empty I felt because I couldn't draw on something to define myself. That's where I got my first taste of this issue today of identity of, well, who am I? And if what you are is something temporal that can be taken away, whether it's a job or a hobby or whatever it is, uh, it, it leaves you in what I call a no man's land where you're, where you're somewhere, where you're nowhere between two somewheres and you got to find your way. And I tell you, it, it was a very painful, my college experience from my sophomore year through graduation was a very painful experience because I still lived in the athletic dorm. Football was still going on. Arkansas athletics was still exciting and robust, but I felt like a ghost wow. through that experience. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I like how you're connecting the, the dots there that if, uh, if the source of identity, if what you think is true about yourself, if it can be taken away, uh, then it's probably not a great source of identity, right? Is that, is that basically what you're saying there? That's right. And, and of course, again, when it gets to something other than as, as uh, black and white as either playing athletics or not playing athletics, it gets out in a more sophisticated world of trying to earn money, trying to be famous, whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes, even when you fail, you keep going after the same empty identity. And that's right. where what we talked about at the beginning, identity can be a futile, a futile, painful search through life because you're going, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's what we need more of. That should be our little uh, podcast game of how many country music lyrics and song lyrics can we drop in? Uh, that's good. Well played. Well played. All right. Well, you, you started to bring this up and we talked about it a little bit, but let's go a little deeper here. What are some of the most common sources of identity that you see uh, for men today? And let's reference uh, a little bit of this study that, that Betterman did with the Barna Group recently that came out, um, talking about five aspects of manhood and, <clears throat> excuse me, just the state of manhood today. And so, um, so some common sources of identity. What did the study find? And, and the study looked at it between what they were, um, you know, basically basic definitions of non-Christians and Christians. And we saw some, some overlap and we saw some differences. So why don't you summarize those? Yeah, I, you know, the Barna research of uh, talking to younger men in particular across the country, non-Christians and Christians, uh, I thought was, um, it, it really was stunning to me in some ways, especially of the non-Christian young men and what they, how they identify themselves. I, I do think when you hear this and then look at the culture, it, it tells you 
a lot about what we're seeing today in the culture, the unrest and those kind of things. But but uh, because the non-Christians are predominantly the, the larger group of men in our country today, but at the very core, according to the Barna study, uh, young, Christ, young non-Christian men define themselves by their hobbies, yeah. by the things that feel good. And, and that is, and that's a really strong statistic in the Barna study, the less, the, the, the other things that uh, non-Christian young men define themselves by, uh, have left less of a, a percentage of who they see themselves as, but it would be the more traditional things of friendship and career and fatherhood, but they're not nearly as strong a strain in core identity as is just hobbies, just, just doing things that feel good. Uh, so you, you get men defining themselves more by the, the video games they play or the golf they go out and do on weekends or they're hunting, they're fishing. Uh, that's their go-to place. Right. And, uh, uh, but that really says something about, I mean, this will sound pretty strong, but I feel like what it starts indicating is that we have a real stunted identity in America today, a real self-centered feel good identity overall in America today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you just said, as we've mentioned a few times, I mean, um, those things are not bad, right? Like hobbies are not bad. Uh, friendships clearly are not bad. Having money is not bad. A career, all that stuff is not bad. But when you start to say, this is who I am, I am a, uh, an avid outdoorsman, or I am a golfer, or I am um, a millionaire or whatever it is, you know, then that's where, that's where things can start to get off a little bit. The trajectory of your life can start drifting in an area that I think in a few years you'll look back and go, ah, this is not what I, where I really wanted to go. Well, I, and I will say in uh, all the years, I've had decades now working with men, uh, one of the things that I hear more than anything else after a session on manhood when we're talking about issues like this is I'll have the older men come up to me, sometimes with, with, with tears in their eyes, and this is the phrase I've heard over and over again for almost 30 years, Adam. They'll look at me and they'll say, I wish I would have heard this 30 years ago. Yeah. And what they're talking about is on one subject or another is I put my eggs in the wrong basket that they, they were good for the short term, yep. but in the long term, they broke and the yolk spilled out and it became empty. And uh, now I've got to I've got to somehow repair that or go back or find an identity that works for myself. But yeah. What I live for had 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 a big flash for a few years. But uh, now it's turned to darkness. Robert, the study also found that Christians or those who proclaim to be Christians also have sources of identity. But their list was different, and it was different in a good way. Yeah, and, and the Christians were defined in the study as those who go one or more times to church. Uh, they, they see value in uh, uh, biblical standards and those kind of things. So that was a great starting point. But you're right. Uh, the things that fell out of that that defined a, a young Christian man were very encouraging. I mean, right at the core, uh, it was faith for young Christian men over and against hobbies for non-Christian men. Right. And I think it was that contrast and it was so stark that when I looked at that, I went, wow, you know, temporal and eternal yeah. right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, big difference. And that, you know, again, as we've been saying, that stuff matters. And sometimes, I mean, um, for men, we all uh, we all learn at different paces. But uh, generally speaking, men, we have to we have to experience something to learn it. And uh, and so you can put on those things, you know, these these hobbies or financial status. You can try it out for a little bit, um, but it's it's going to eventually be found uh, empty. And, uh, and that's what's great about the, the Christian men saying, hey, it's my faith. There's not anything wrong with any of those things, right. uh, th- that hobbies and, and finances and career and those kind of things. It's just how they're ordered. Yep. And for a listener today, listening to us, uh, I think one of the most profound things you can do for your life is to sit on a rock by yourself and ask this question, who am I really? Hmm. Do I take joy in that. If I, if I, if, if I take joy and I can list it, but it's something that's going to pass away, uh, I need to know that, that, uh, my house is built on a little bit more, uh, sand than a rock Yeah, because you've got to have something that's going to, that's going to give you value, not just in your twenties and thirties, but it's going to carry you and help align the rest of your life all the way to the end of your life. That's that's, good. that's a great identity. That is, that is, that's really helpful. So uh, in my years, uh, for the past 10 years, I've been on staff at a, at a church here in Dallas, Texas, and they have this ministry called Regeneration, which is a uh, biblically-based, Christ-centered 12-step recovery program for or ministry for all kinds of issues. I mean, it would be the, the traditional things that you would think with uh, alcohol and drugs and pornography and things like that, but even even people that are struggling with uh, with pride and with anger or codependency or fear, anxiety, things like that. And what I love uh, about that ministry that I saw, and I think this is so relevant to our conversation about identity, when you show up at that ministry, they would everybody there would introduce themselves the same way. And they would say, hi, my name is, like a traditional kind of 12-step, hi, my name is Adam. I am a follower of Jesus who struggles with and then you would list out a few things. And what, I, what they were really doing there is they were trying to help people understand the importance of identity. Oh, that, yeah. Because if you walk into a recovery program, let's say you are, you know, you're an alcoholic or uh, alcohol or drugs has been just uh, destroying your life for years, you could walk in there going, I'm an alcoholic, right? And that, that really, in a, in a way, can become a source of identity. And, right. and I loved how they were just training people to see the importance of identity. No, first and foremost, you are a follower of Jesus who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who struggles with, and, uh, and then it was fill in the blanks. And I like that, you know, as we're even talking about like hobbies and stuff, you are a follower of Jesus first. That is your core identity. Who likes hunting or who likes playing video games every once in a while or who, who has a good job or... Uh, who also is a dad, you know, those things, but it's got to be in the right order, because if we get it, at, if we get the order out of whack, things are just going to start uh, drifting in an area you don't want it to go. That's right. That's, that's, that's so, that is so wise that uh, your church would do that, because, yeah. you know, having sat in a lot of AA groups, for instance, you can get locked into, this is who I am as a problem. Yep. And uh, the idea of being able to state who I am in Jesus is the starting point, and the problem then aligns itself to that. That's right. That's right. I like, though, uh, let's let's not forget that, because uh, this is the homework, I think, out of today's episode, is find 
find the place to sit. It doesn't have to be a rock, right? I think you suggested they sit on a rock. It doesn't have to be a rock. They can be, they can be in their living room. But, but the question, say the question again. What's the question you want them to think through? Who am I really? Yeah, that's good. There are some men, as you know, they'll, they'll go a, a good portion of their life going round and round that question because they can't really settle honestly on who they are. Yeah. And until they do that, they can't align themselves to where they need to be. That's right. Hey, podcast listeners, Adam Torno here. Before we jump back into my conversation with Robert, I want to take a moment and let you know how you can get your hands on the Better Man 11-week experience. Better Man draws men together in a powerful relational way, teaching them to discover the timeless truths of masculinity found in the Bible and modeled through the person and works of Jesus Christ. Now, as Robert mentioned during our season two preview episode, because of generous donations, this resource is now offered free of charge and is available right now for you to use in both live and virtual settings. So when you get back in front of your computer today, go to betterman.com and check out the website. There are so many resources out there for you, online small and large group training, a downloadable leader's guide, a selection of great video speakers for you to choose from and more. Go check it out at betterman.com. Let's shift gears a little bit here, and uh, and there was another aspect of the study that I think is worth talking about, and it's all related to identity here, but the study found that Christian men seem to think or believe that the state of masculinity is changing, but it's changing um, more negatively, but non-Christian men seem to think that it's changing for the better. So uh, in, in any of these inventories that we're going to be doing, thinking about who am I really— some of the things that are going to pop up are going to be our masculinity, the fact that we are men, that is part of who we are. So why do you think there is this divide right now in the culture where some of the Christian men maybe think that masculinity is changing negatively and non-Christian men think it's changing for the better? I think it's the cultural air we breathe. Yeah. I think in times past, when the culture, as uh, I think a lot of Christians lament, used to be more salted with Judeo-Christian values, uh, when you measure yourself against a culture that breathes uh, that kind of air, you can say, I'm doing okay. Yeah. But I think culture has drastically, drastically changed today. We're a much more secularized culture. And I think when Christian men measure themselves, if, they, if they're followers of Christ and hold to the Bible, and they look at where manhood is going in the cultural air, uh, it does threaten them. And I think rightfully so. Whereas I think if you are a, you know, if you're a secularist and you're you're going on the next cultural wave, uh, you don't have a uh, a standard, uh, uh, maybe I should say a traditional or ancient standard that you're holding to measure against a changing culture. Yeah. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, I think we're doing better. And so I think without some standard to give you a way to vet where you are today you'll probably think some of the things that are taking place are really, really good. But I think if you're a, a Christian with a standard, uh, I think it, it, it raises really clearly that uh, we're moving away from not only Judeo-Christian values and the Bible, but we're moving in territory that the Bible would actually warn against. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, what we're not talking about here is the—I think we would agree with the culture's view that toxic masculinity is that it's toxic, right? And so um, this is not that that uh, things that have popped out of the Me Too movement on some of those changes in masculinity that we're going, hey, it's not okay for men to act this way. 
we're not, I, I don't think Christian men are going, no, that's bad. You know, I think we're nodding our head in agreement going, yeah, toxic masculinity needs to change. Again, we have a standard to measure toxic masculinity against, and toxic masculinity is just dumbed down boyhood that a Christian man would say, that that's not right. I like that. So we're, it's not that we're against everything that's happening in culture. Culture is surfacing a lot of the problems that I think we as Christian men can agree to. Yeah. I just think that culture is headed in a way of defining manhood that we wouldn't agree to. There you go. Okay. So, uh, you know, if we were, we were going to fast forward the next 10 or 15 years, then we're probably going to see this divide become even wider, which would mean uh, for Christian men mean one thing, which is you're going to start, or there's a potential that you could feel more isolated in your views of what it means to be a man, which uh, can be pretty scary to be isolating, which is why it is so important to get plugged into a church and to surround yourselves. As Proverbs 13, 20 says, he walks with the wise, grows wise, companion of fools suffers harm. Surround yourself with other wise men who, uh, who believe the same things you do and want the same things you do to become a life-giving man. Uh, right. The importance of getting together to be able to do this, which Better Man helps with, and, and, and when Better Man is done within the context of a local church, it's just a win-win. And so, and the Barber research demonstrated uh, very clearly yeah. that men who get with other men uh, do significantly better in all the practical areas of life, but they also have a greater sense of mental health, positive mental health, and satisfaction about life. And those are directly related to being yoked up and close to other men, even intergenerationally. That's good. Okay, so what can a church do, in your opinion, uh, to help those who are feeling unsettled about the state of manhood today? So maybe they, they hear this study and they're going, they don't like this divide between where a Christian man is and a non-Christian in their view of where masculinity is headed. So if somebody is feeling anxious about that or fearful about that, what do you think churches can do to help? Well... The biggest thing churches need to do is is to exhort and give an emphasis on bringing men together. Yeah, uh, and and having men process life together. It's just the old it's the old biblical statement: "Come and let us reason together." Yeah, uh, you got a lot of young men who've grown up in a very secularized culture who have, as the Barner research pointed out, Christian men who have what I call. Uh, views of sexuality and gender and those kind of things that are straying in many ways from the biblical norm. And, uh, and I don't even know if they know it. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, you've got older men who are disconnected from spending any time with younger men just to be able to share life together, share their failures, their successes, and offer wisdom because, because wisdom is transferred from older to younger because men have lived it. Yep. It doesn't mean they've lived it well, but even what they've done wrong, they have something to offer. Yep. So I think the church needs to be fostering a environment that connects older men and younger men in a way that they have the opportunity to talk about masculinity, to define uh, masculine terms. My biggest hobby horse is to define just what it means to be a man from the Bible, just get the basic definition. And then out of that, begin to look at what the Bible says versus how men are living today and begin to shape a nobler, higher end Christian masculinity. That's so good. 
So Robert, what would you say is the best starting point for churches to help men develop a healthy identity? I would say that the number one starting point for rebuilding a masculinity that would be truly Christian, authentic, and noble is you've got to start with a definition. You can't become what you can't define. There you go. And my fear is today in the church, we still are not being, we're still not able to define in a succinct way what it means to be a man Hmm. Uh, from the Bible. And one of the things we do in Better Man is we open up to Genesis when God's creating the first man and God's interacting with that first man. And in that story interaction, he basically charges Adam with four responsibilities that will make him grow up from the boy that he was at the very beginning to being the kind of man that God wanted him to be. And, and those four charges, I think, are the is the architecture of the definition of masculinity that carries forward through the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Jesus and should be, to me, the definition we use today or some likeness thereof. And so the way we define it in Better Man is that we say a, a real man, the man that God uh, originally set out uh, to create in Adam and still wants to create in us today is a man who does four things, takes on these four responsibilities. He courageously follows God's word. He loves and protects God's woman. He excels in God's work, and he betters God's world. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's the core definition that then we build out from in Better Man. But I think you've got to be able to define it so you can go back to it. And when you say, who am I? As a young man, you say, I'm a Christian man who's been created to fulfill those four responsibilities over my lifetime. That's that's, that's where I think churches should start and men's ministries should start. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to say about all four of those, which is why, I mean, some of the Better Man curriculum, the 11 weeks to go through it all, it, it takes a little while to unpack that. But those are, I mean, those those are, um, you've done you've done the church and the world such a service by giving us those four handholds there, you know, those those four pillars of all of this. Um, but there's depth with the, with each of those. Oh, yeah, you can go forever on each one of those. And the Bible does that. The Bi- rest of the Bible is, in some ways, a, a uh, exposition of what I just said. Yeah. But those things bring life to a world. They bring life to a church when men are measuring and living their life in, in light of those four life-giving responsibilities, because what that's what they do. They give life. All right, Robert, let's close up with one last question. So what would you say to somebody who is sitting there, they're hearing this conversation, and they feel like uh, their identity is forever marred and unchangeable. Maybe one of those those uh, men that are listening that said, hey, I, I took that identity from high school and I ran with it for decades. And I just, I, I hear what you're saying that I can change it, but I don't believe it. I think I'm marred. I think I'm unchangeable. What would you say to that man? Yeah, he's got, he's got what I call the unforgivable sin syndrome. Yeah. And thinks I'm stuck and I can't get out. You know, uh, that, that's a whole subject in of itself, but I would just finish, I think, by pointing that particular man back to Jesus himself. I mean, it was Jesus who said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. And let me tell you, all of history has declared that that's not an empty promise. That's a promise Jesus delivers on in every generation. In fact, Paul put it this way, he says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature 
And this is the great line, old things have passed away. That's what I always tell these guys who feel marred. The old things in Christ can be passed away. And what's in front of you, as Paul says there, behold, old things have passed away, new things have come. And so if you're a man listening to our broadcast today and you find yourself in a place where you just think you're stuck and you can't get out, don't believe that lie. Mm. You just need a change of identity. It needs to turn to Jesus and find he can align your identity to an eternal one that will give you the life that only he himself can bring to you. I love it. That's a great answer, Robert. As always, today was very helpful. Thank you so much. It was uh, it was great to visit with you. Great to be with you, Adam. Hey, everybody. Adam Tarno here. If you like what you heard on the show today, please do us a favor and rate and review the show. That'll help people find us. If you're a church or organization leader interested in bringing the Better Man 11-week event to your community, go to betterman.com for more information. A special thank you to Aaron Rose, who mixed and edited today's episode. You can learn more about Aaron at soundofarose.com. This has been the Better Man Podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.